So last week, uh, we had an opportunity to spend the kind of the first week of this two-week vision series looking at what would it look like as we live out this hope for the church, as we take some time to live out the vision that God has given this church, the vision that we've had for many years, the vision that we still have to continue on. And over these next five years, we've been given some specific directions we're headed in, some new areas, some new ways that we're going to be living out this vision. And so to start that off, last week, you had a chance to hear from our lead pastor, John Parker, as he talked a bit about resolve in the church, of what does it look like to move with confidence towards And So I'm going to invite John up. He is here with us today. John Parker, thanks for joining us. Um, today, we're going to talk a little bit about these next few years yeah. and how does it look like. It's good to see you. Good to be here. Yes, well, we're good teenagers now as a church. We're 16, yeah. we're precocious, and we've got to we're, figure out how this looks. We're eager to drive and go Oh my gosh, so much freedom that, yeah. now. It's yeah. like we can do whatever we want. We can sit as far away from each other as we'd like. <laughs> you got to leave room for Jesus, right? Well, it's yeah. Like, it's like yeah. a I mean, dance at a Christian yeah. school. I can <laughs> spin. I'm 16. I can do whatever I want now. I can like do oh, all kinds man. of cool stuff. So, um... So one thing you guys should know is my mother-in-law is the one who makes the banana bread. That's all you uh, need to know. Done. Morning. Five years. And so yeah. So really, a, a key part of our uh, of our vision as a church uh, moving forward is banana bread, chili cook-off, yeah. really food it's items. Food yeah, items. Yeah. yeah. That was actually the extra hundred thousand dollars in the budget this year. Yeah. That was all. It was like new toppings yeah. for the banana bread. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was just that. So um, so I want to recap really quickly uh, what what our vision is uh, as a church and some of uh, and some of where we're heading today. We're really going to be talking a lot about how we're mobilizing ourselves in the community um, outside the walls of Summit and Service and, and new expressions of Summit and all of that. Um, but I want to I want to talk about the the whole vision just in brief. If you missed last week, um, you can go back and, and listen to that and hear a little more detail on that. But our vision as a church is to build biblically functioning communities that reach lost people, connect in Christ-centered relationships, teach truth, serve others, and worship. We should take this on the road. Like we no, just, let's just like, like that's just how good we are. Vision. It's amazing. Banter. You so, wrote it, so you have to. So, uh, so reaching thing. lost people, um, that's always going to be first and foremost in, in our heart as a church. And, um, and, and what it means uh, for us to reach people who are far from God really begins and ends with us as, as individuals caring about the people that God has placed uh, in our lives who, who don't yet know him. But it also impacts uh, how we mobilize ourselves as a church and where uh, we go as a church. And so we're going to be uh, continuing, as you know, we're a multiple campus church. We're going to be continuing um, to see more expressions of Summit um, come to life in the world around us. Uh, I mean, Lake Mary is an awesome example of why multi-site matters, because there's, there's an expression uh, of the church that is uh, that is alive and thriving in Lake Mary because people said, I'm going to go and I'm going to be intentional um, about being the church and bringing the church uh, closer to the people I live with. We're going we're gonna to continue to do that, and it'll look a little bit different in terms of, of strategy and pace and all of that in the coming years, but our hope is, and what we're praying for and working towards, is that there will be three new expressions uh, of Summit um, that, that, will be, uh, that will be in their beginnings over the course of this year. So I'm really excited about that. And then, uh, and then uh, how we connect in Christ-centered relationships was, is also are going to be growing and, and, and receive intentional focus uh, this year, particularly in, in how we engage in multi-generational uh, leadership. And so this is recognizing that uh, that every person, every age, uh, young and old alike, um, are invited mature. Uh, to mature. Yeah. Yes, mature. Yeah. No, we're not uh, are invited to bring their their, their, their whole leadership, their whole uh, best um, to, uh, to the vision giving, getting lived out. 
when, when Summit first started, uh, we were, you know, in our early 20s, and um, and anyone who came into the church that was like o- over 50, you know, were like, please stay, we need you. And they're like, it's obvious you need us, you're just children. Uh, but there are people who stayed. I mean, stayed. at that point, it was yeah. like over 30 you were begging, I think. Right, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was just, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and so we, but we really wanted to not just be the, the college ministry church. We wanted to be a full expression of, of the kingdom of God. Now as we're a bit aged. I mean, you're old, way older than I am. Way older, yeah, yeah. Thanks but for bringing that up. But we're in that, you know, we're in the, there's... Our uh, banter is better when we stand. All right. Yeah, we're going to keep sitting. Great. Yeah. That's, this is good. This is good. That's a little bit of the magic so, that happens uh, when we're together. I, just in the chance that, that banter will get better. So the... <laughs> So now uh, we want to really do, we, we want to make sure that as we continue to be a full expression of the church, that there's no one who grows up at Summit um, that, uh, that runs the risk of being ready to give everything uh, to Jesus, to do big things for his kingdom, um, but not believe uh, that, that their church believes that of them. Right. And so we want to be a church that invites um, the people who are growing up here and calling church home to do big things uh, for God's kingdom. That's what was, that's what people did for us, and, yep. and our church families did for us um, as we grew. And then, um, and then the other thing is, uh, we want to be intentionally multi-ethnic as a church. We've we've recognized, uh, well, we've always known the kingdom of God is is the di- most diverse uh, entity in uh, in all of the world, in the history of the world. The, the kingdom of heaven uh, is is and will be the most. A diverse environment in, in in all of humanity, and the church ought to be reflecting um, in uh, in the way that we live and love, uh, reflecting uh, the kingdom of God in that. So the world, when they look in, in the inside the church, uh, sees something different, sees something compelling and beautiful, and the fact that everything that would separate us, maybe in other environments in the world. Um, all those barriers are removed in the church, and we are loving each other in a way that, that magnifies and glorifies God. So we're going to be working on those things over the next uh, five years and being intentionally in, in walking towards that. And then this year, as we talk about teaching truth, we're going to be uh, talking about what does it mean for us to live as c- citizens of the kingdom of God first? What does it look like for us um, to live from a, from a a place and perspective of our citizenship, recognizing that how we live our lives, our personal holiness uh, matters to, to God, it matters to ourselves, and it matters to the world around us. Yeah, in fact, this next Sunday, we're starting our series on Galatians. It begins, Jeff Kern is going to kick it off, and we'll be walking through the entire book of Galatians through that lens. Yeah. What does it look like to be citizens yeah. in his kingdom? Yeah, and as a staff uh, on this last Tuesday, Tuesday um, we, we, did, we did the same in a, in a concentrated form. We took uh, the day as a staff and we went to Canterbury Retreat Center in, uh, in Oviedo and we spent uh, several hours in silence just engaging with God and listening to God, um, trying to, to build what we call our personal holiness plans, our, our intentional steps to live out um, our kingdom citizenship in our work and our families uh, and our relationships in the world around us. And so we've been in some, maybe in some ways leading by example um, in that, but that's something that we'll all be, the journey we'll all be on together as a church. It's awesome. So there you go. All Thanks, right, John. it's all you. Tell all us right. how to serve. Let's do it. Thank you, John. Thanks for being here so much. Appreciate it. So piece of that multicultural, multi-generational, multi-site. Today we're going to be talking specifically about what does that look like lived out here? How do we become a church that serves in our unique place in history and in our unique community? And the question would be kind of before that, though, is why serve, right? As we were going, going through this, like what is the picture of serving? Why do we do this? And one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture is found in Mark 2. It should be in your bulletins if you'd like to follow along and in your Bibles and your phone. Mark 2, verses 1 through five, it's a story that has been with me for 20 years. It's one I get to use with students and adults, and it's been one that has come up so often. It has turned into one of my favorite stories. It's the beginning of Mark, 
Again, one of my favorite books. It's so action-packed and full of Jesus' work in the world. Jesus is off to a really successful start in his ministry. All these things are going on. And then we catch up with him here in chapter 2. It says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the, man, the mat, or lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And then later he says, get up, take your mat and go home. There are so many amazing things that happen in this story. It's such a short story, right? Five verses. But when I think about what's really going on, the fact that Jesus is in a home and he is so attractive, that he is so enthralling, that he is so exciting, that the home is packed, that there are people squeezing out the doors trying to get to him. There's no room left because of what has been going on. The miracles they've seen, the way he taught that was different, the life he's leading, there is a movement happening. So all these people are there and, and, and it is crowded. And I just think about the palpable excitement of what is happening in that room. And then all of a sudden, I've got a picture. Jesus gets up in front of the room and he's giving his message now. And, and, and I'm guessing you can hear a pin drop, right? Because people are waiting to hear what he says. And oftentimes in this room, you can hear a pin drop just because my joke didn't go over very well. But like there, it was different because he had such authority, right? Um, so he's standing there teaching and all of a sudden straw starts falling from the roof on him. And I have to picture everybody just stopping and looking up and trying to figure out what's going on. And all of a sudden, a man is lowered through the roof and placed in front of Jesus in the middle of this gathering of people, in the middle of his teaching. Now, that would be pretty distracting right now if we're just sitting here and all of a sudden one of the acoustic ceiling tiles is broken and someone just kind of like drops in the middle of us. Probably some video footage would go out, maybe some Instagram footage, I don't know. Uh, it would be a big deal. And Jesus just seems to handle with such a plum, right? He, he is just there. And something that has just strikes me over and over again in the midst of the story, he says, when he saw their faith, when he saw these men that were willing to go out of their way to carry this paralyzed man, when he saw that people were willing to dig through the roof, when you think about how crazy that is, like a squirrel gets on my roof, I get frustrated. These guys dug through a roof to get their friend to Jesus. And he honored that. He healed this man. Something was different about that. And some things that have hit me about that, one, their hands and feet mattered, right? They had to do something. They knew this man had needs and they knew they couldn't do him on their own, but they had enough faith in Jesus that they were going to get him to Jesus and to make a difference. They knew that Jesus was the only one that was gonna have the opportunity to make the difference they needed, so they took their friend. And they did whatever it took to get him there. They knew if he could just get him in front of Jesus. And, and so many of us have had that experience. If we could just get our friends to the feet of Jesus, right? If we could just get that person there. If I, if I could just get to the feet of Jesus, everything would be different. And they knew that it was going to be different. But something I think that has hit me so much in this one is thinking through what it would have been like for that paralyzed man in his society. Um, Many of you have been to developing nations. Uh, when we go to Malawi, it's very much the same. People that have disabilities are often outcasts in society. And this is not necessarily just because they want to do that. Sometimes there are belief systems around that which pushes people to the outside. Oftentimes it's driven by need. You need food. You need to do the ordinary things. So the easiest and really the only you might be able to do with your family member is, is just to leave them home. And so they're isolated. They're alone. 
they are oftentimes just left in dark places or maybe set outside and, and you don't have all of the systems in place to be able to take care of. So I've got to imagine that this man that they carried was in that precarious position. He was far away. There's a good chance he was isolated, he was alone. And, and these men that carried him had to do something about it. They, they had to be in proximity enough to him to know him. So I think about these men and their faith enough that they left the comfort of whatever they were doing to go to this man. It doesn't say a family member. I, I read that a couple of times. Like I, I could understand doing this for a family member, right? Like if this is my brother and he's home and these are all the brothers we're carrying him, but it says they're friends. These men came and carried him. So there's this idea that they, they had to be enough in proximity to be in relationship with him. They had to go to him to know him. They had to go to him enough that he would trust them to pick up his mat, to take him to Jesus. But they had to leave their comfort zones to get there as well. They needed to go to this man. They had to care, they had to go, they had to act. And it was because they trusted Jesus. That was the driving force. They took him because they knew that if they could just get him to the feet of Jesus, things would be different. And this is why we serve as a church and why we're gonna continue to go and serve. We go because we know that we have been given the ability to cross lines, that we have been given the ability and the opportunity to be in proximity to people and to take them to the feet of Jesus. This isn't our main means of evangelism to serve, but it is the main means that we live out our expression of how we follow him. Serving is a reflection of the work that God has done in us. He has repaired us. He has given us new hope and life, and we get to go and bring new hope and life to those that are around us. So we'll continue to go and serve, and this will be particularly around supporting local systems, structures, and relationships to serve vulnerable children. Let me say that again. Over the next five years, we're going to be supporting local systems, structures, and relationships to serve vulnerable children. So why children? Children are the most vulnerable in our, all of our societies. They are at the mercy of the structures, the people, the environments they are born into. They have their choice about where they go. Children are at the mercy of all of this. So how do we define vulnerable children? Somebody asked me that one of the first weeks. It was such a helpful question as we were walking through this process. Dan Sherfield is uh, the leader of our Connect Ministry, our, our small groups here at Summit. He also heads up our local service. And this was his quote. He said, well, I would say all children are vulnerable. The reality is children are reliant on the systems, structures, and relationships that they are given. When any or all of these are broken, under-resourced, experiencing trauma or missing altogether to no fault of the child, the vulnerability of children is exposed, and this is where we have an opportunity to get involved. God calls us to the vulnerable. Over and over again, you see it in Scripture. He calls his people and his followers to the vulnerable. And I'll tell you, this work can be really hard. Many of you have engaged with it or are engaged with it. Maybe you work in the school systems. You work in places with vulnerable children. You know this is hard work. Potentially, work that causes heartache and pain as we get close to those who are hurting, hurt people, hurt people. Um, there are opportunities uh, in the midst of this to hurt and to expose ourselves to some things that can be uncomfortable. But I heard someone say this the other day, and it rings so true, and I hope it does for you as well. There are so many people in our society that are moving into these places, whether they're fostering, whether they're adopting, whether they're teaching. They're in these systems of brokenness, and they don't know Jesus. We have Jesus. We have hope. So you better believe we're the ones equipped to be able to go into hopeless places because our hope and our joy and our future are not based on the outcomes of what we're going into. We have the confidence and the reliability that we have a bedrock of faith in Jesus. And if it's not us, 
if, if it's not us who have hope and who have a future and who have a place to go back to for all this, who is supposed to go? I, I try to picture those who don't have Jesus sitting in the midst of these places and all they see is brokenness day in and day out. And they have nothing outside of that as a light of hope. And we have that. We have to go. So, as we need to be there, as we are called as followers to be there, uh, we started kind of talking about, well, what does this look like? In, in global missions, we have a very clear picture of how we've done that. We, we dig in deep in Africa in very narrow places. As we were led to Africa, as we kind of looked at the AIDS pandemic and all the things that happened there, as we kind of settled in and said, okay, this is the, the, the t- crisis of our time. This is our place in history. Let's step in. And we've, we learned over time as we were walking through that to go really deep in some really narrow places to not try to do a million things, but to do a few things really well, and it's working. Uh, when we go to Malawi, and we go to Malawi, which is one city in Malawi, and when we go there, we really are seeing about 1,000 to 1,500 kids that are cared for by this one organization that we come alongside and support that are doing the work that we are partners with. There is life change. Uh, the, the, their circumstances, their life, their outcomes are massively different than before Jesus and, and these systems got put in the place in their life Many of you met Doris, who is interning here and living with us uh, earlier this year. Her life is different because Summit stepped in, because Children of the Nations are there, because we were able to come alongside God and do this work there. We've gone deep into very narrow places, and it's a long-term commitment. It's finding these places where we're uniquely equipped. So we said, well, okay, this has worked in Malawi. This has worked in Ethiopia. This has worked in Kenya as we've gone deep in these narrow places. Let's mirror that in our local service to go deep in narrow places. But we also want to be able to play to our strengths and our heartbeats. As we are some at churches, we are 16 years old. As a church, as we have a certain demographic and a certain makeup, what are the places that we might be most uniquely qualified to step in for vulnerable children? Where can we go deep in these narrow places together? And the two areas where we think we can really go deep in a narrow place are the school system and in foster care. Uh, schools represent the center of neighborhoods and communities. They're the hub of life. Um, there are so many things that intersect in the realm of schools. They represent a generational impact as we invest in children there. They have an identity that people rally around. But we also have a heartbeat for fostering and adopting here at church. Uh, so many of our families have adopted here. It's a story of John and our lead pastor's family. It's a story of so many that have adopted and fostered over time. And it's been a place that we have followed as a church, and it makes our heart beat fast. And so we want to support local systems, structures, and relationships to serve vulnerable children, specifically in foster care and schools. So why foster care? Why in this really narrow realm of things did foster care up? Psalm 68.6 says this. He sets the lonely in families. I love that verse. There was one, uh, as we were reading it this week, it just uh, spoke to my heart. I love that idea that God intentionally sets the lonely in families. And in the foster care system, kids that have been displaced through whatever is going on in life, they may be some of the most displaced and lonely of all. This is a temporary situation. It's something that's going on, but there is a hope that he puts them in families. And so many of these families are followers of Jesus. They want to give hope to those who are in the foster care system. But uh, there are many challenges in the system, especially for those who are fostering. Here are some of the stats we saw as we were looking at foster families. Two out of three children in foster care are moved at an average of seven or more times. And for those of you who've moved a lot, some of you maybe grew up in the military, but you oftentimes got to move with family members, right? You kind of went from place to place. There was a structure around you. But for those of you who may have experienced these moves, you know how hard that is to be displaced, to move without the support of family. So two out of three 
of those kids seven or more times. And when we take an average, that means that some of them are doing this 14 times, some of them are doing it three, right? Seven or more times. And here's what happens every time they move, it costs a child an estimate of eight months of progress. So if you move every three months, all of a sudden you're back five months. And it's just that thing you can never get ahead. You're finally in a place, you're finally in a school, you're finally in a system that maybe things are gonna go well and something changes. And a lot of times the things that change is the foster care family can't keep up with it. There's something going on. And this was the number that was really uh, in the midst. Those are devastating enough. 50% uh, of foster families stop fostering after their first placement. So you get someone who says, yes, God, I want to do this, especially in the faith community. They go, yes, we want to make a difference. We are called to foster. We are supposed to bring these vulnerable children to our home and care for them, to give them some solidity, to give them some hope. 50% stop fostering after their first place. It is hard work. It is hard. It is heartbreaking. And what we're finding, though, uh, is that there are actually some really big opportunities around this. Though the problems are big, there are some big opportunities that we have to make a difference in there because... This is what happens. 90% of foster families surrounded by care community continue fostering. So think about that. 50% within the first time quit. But if they're surrounded by a community that cares for them, they stick around. 90%. That is a massive increase. That is a place where you're talking about going deep in a narrow place. To get one family to stick around longer to be able to provide a solid place for kids, that is huge. We saw we were like, we can, we can do that. We can move a needle on that. What is a care community of eight to 10 people that come around to support a family? That could be a connect group. That could be a group of people that are, are together. And what do they do? Um, oh, they, they are take, um, each person commits to making one meal a month, right? That's pretty low bar. I'm gonna make one meal a month and take it to the family. They give them a meal off. So this group of eight to 10 people say, okay, I'm gonna make a meal a month each person, take a meal. Some people on there are maybe there to help run some errands. They get into a crisis spot. They need a little extra help. They call a coordinator of this team and they step in. Over time, that might look like a little bit of respite. That might look like uh, some, um, some hangout time and stuff like that. But at the bare minimum, it's just giving them a little extra care, some prayer support, some love around them. You do this, 90% stick around. Like, we can do that. We can make a difference in a few families that are already fostering and be able to do that. It's incredible. And then the other number we saw as a great opportunity here is that across the Orlando area, across all of our counties of Orange, Nacional, and Seminole, approximately 200 children are not placed within a family. That was pretty astounding too. There's only about 200 kids that are not in a loving home that are in a government facility. We're like, we can make a dent in that. If we can support families that are fostering, bring people in the foster system and, and, and help them be healthy, that number starts going down. You take five or 10 kids out of the government facilities and put them in a home that cares and keep them healthy and lasting a bit longer, that's a huge dent and a need that's here. And this need is growing with the opioid crisis we're facing across all of our counties. This will continue to grow. But right now, we saw that as such a, a number that we can make a difference in. We got started getting excited, though that number is also devastating to think about that there are 200 kids. It's also only 200. Like we, if churches get on board with this, can make a difference in that. And our church can make a difference in that. So for foster, we want to come around families and provide support to keep these families caring and serving longer. Um, some of you may even step up into the foster system. Maybe you're called to foster, and maybe that'll happen over time, but we feel uniquely positioned to care well and surround these foster families as they care for these kids. Second area uh, where we're going to be diving into is the school system. Uh, schools, especially public schools, are the hub of everything. All kids end up in schools, whether they're in foster, whether they're adopted, whether no matter where they are, kids end up in school. No matter what socioeconomic class, this is the meeting place for kids. And schools are full of vulnerable children. My buddy's a principal at a high school here, and he's at the first service. And as I said that, his like head is nodding, right? Like It is full of vulnerable children. Our halls are filled with them. 
And many of you serve at your school. Maybe your kids go to school somewhere and you serve there and you should totally keep doing that. It is so great. But I am very fortunate. We go to a wonderful school and it is so supported. I mean, I show up and there's 500 PTA people there and I'm like, where are the kids? There's so many people that are running the help, right? There's so much help and that is not true at a lot of our schools. Within a couple of miles of that school, there are schools that don't have the support. There are schools that need extra help. And so the call is gonna be, yes, keep doing what you're doing at your schools. It is a wonderful thing and we should be doing that if you're fortunate enough to be one of these schools. But the, we're gonna talk about going a little bit outside of our comfort zone, going to the places that need this extra help. Because there are kids that are born and moved to a zip code or born with a special need and need extra help. Um, I've been involved in the disability community for a while and you just see the different needs in that community that there might be some opportunities for us to serve in those schools over time, those families uh, a disability affects the whole family when you have a kid. It's not just the child, it's the parents, it's the sibling, it's the care, it's the exhaustion and all of that. The divorce rates go off the charts in those families. The, the poverty levels, because the expense of doing all of this, it takes a toll. So there's some opportunities for us to step in. Poverty um, affects reading and graduation rates, having uh, being in, in a lower socioeconomic class, being in a school and not having access to those things at home. And, and children don't have a choice. They are at the mercy of what's happening there. This number was pretty astounding. 12,500 kids across Orange, Osceola, and Seminole County are homeless. 12,500. Uh, one in four kids are at risk of going to bed hungry in Central Florida, and that's our area. You think about that, we live in the most prosperous time of all of human history, and we're still facing this. There is great need that is out there, and kids are vulnerable. So we wanna go where there is need, and we wanna bring hope. We wanted to take a two-generational approach. It's not just serving kids, that's part of it, it's also family support. We know that if you just fix the kids but don't have a plan for families, that's not gonna fix everything. We wanna be able to take a multiple generational approach to be able to start seeing difference. We've already seen that in Jobs Partnership and some of the ways that we're able to step in, provide support for families and parents as they move through this as well. Uh, we're working on building relationships with schools and finding areas of need where we can serve and make a difference. We have a little bit clearer picture in Foster. We found an organization that's already doing the care communities. That one's going to be pretty ready to go pretty quickly. But for schools, we're opening the door. Part of what we're going to ask you today is do you have relationships there. We're inviting you into this process. Again, we're in week two of five years. We don't have it all figured out. And this is kind of the first time we're able to lay it out and say, all right, how can we do this? Give us some ideas. Let's follow some of our natural things. So you're invited in, and there's just a lot of excitement around these two service areas. Uh, we're also, as part of this, though, when we talk about multi-site, a new expression of summit, we're also moving closer to people who are far away from God. Part of our story here at Lake Mary is that we moved from the Herndon campus, which is down by the um, Fashion Square Mall, like down by Baldwin Park. We moved here to be closer to people, to be in proximity, to be able to bring the church closer to those who are here to invite people in, and we're going to do that again. So I'm gonna invite Doug and Naomi Foley to come up on stage. They live in the Lockhart area of town. So bring them up, Doug and Naomi. Uh, Doug and Naomi have been a part of Summit uh, forever, uh, feels like at this point. They helped launch Lake Mary Campus. They're a part week out and week out helping set up the campus. They have been around. They serve in base camp. You may sometimes see Doug up here leading songs. His family is all here cheering them on today. And they live in the Lockhart area of town. Uh, as you can see on the map, it's kind of in mainland and kind of not in mainland at all. And sort of, as Doug will tell us in just a little bit, um, sort of everywhere and nowhere all at once. Is that what you would say? Yeah. Yeah. So no Doug, tell us a little bit about Lockhart. So Lockhart is considered unincorporated Orlando. So it doesn't have its own budget. It's, it's part of Orange County's addendum budget. We don't have a mayor. 
but we're kind of a... Would you like to be the mayor of Lockhart? <laughs> Maybe one day. Okay. <laughs> no. Done. Um, we we kind of sit um, as a hub, if you think of a wheel, with all these other cities being like spokes that come in. You have um, Altamont Springs and Maitland and Apopka and Eatonville and, to a certain extent, Pine Hills. All of these cities kind of abut to this area and <clears throat> yet no one's ever heard of it. <laughs> if you know where the RDV Sportsplex is and where Maitland Boulevard kind of crosses over 434, that's kind of like the heart, like right there is, is, is where it is. And there's a tremendous diversity and a lot of need. And uh, so it's, it's a place that um, we've lived now for 13 years. And it's a place that we really have wanted to serve and we've really wanted to minister and bring people to church, but it's just a little far. We've had a hard time being able to bring people to Lake Mary mm -hmm. because of that, that drive, that distance. So tell us a little bit. So Riverside Elementary is kind of right in the middle. It's kind of right at the end of your street and you guys mm -hmm. have been involved there. Can you tell us a little bit about Riverside Elementary and what's going on over there? Sure. <laughs> so Riverside Elementary is, you from our driveway, you can see the back of the school where the bus loop is. And um, our kids have been going there now for three years. They went to a different school um, because of my, my daughter, my oldest daughter who's deaf. Uh, all the kids went to the elementary school that she went to. And then when she graduated from that, we had to send all of our kids to the schools that they were zoned for. And so that's kind of where the, our awareness of the need in the community, and though we've been living there a long time, we didn't know um, just exactly how broken this community was until we started being a part of the school and seeing um, all of the need that, that's there. A lot of fatherlessness. It's a Title I school, um, very low performing in test scores, and um, just full of opportunities, and, and we're ready to engage that. Naomi's been the president of the PTA for the last two years, and um, the reason she passed the mic, I hope it's okay, we talked a little bit about the first one, just the deep need in her school, and it's just a very emotional thing. She sees it on a daily basis, and one of the things about them, I mean, for years now, there's a prayer request in the bottom of your bulletin, and every week we pray on Monday, it goes to our prayer teams, and every week that they're there, there is a prayer for their community. They have a huge heart for their community, and especially based on Riverside. My family got to go the other night to see, and the, the, the relationships they have with the teachers and the faculty that are there, they are hungry and ready for help, and just the, the relationships and the trust you've built there, it's palpable when you walk in, but also the number of kids that are in after-school care I mean, it is very evident that there is need that is there. So you've started mm -hmm. the groundwork for the first expression of Summit. You're the first, first place, Blue yes. Ribbon, yes. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about what you guys have been doing. So we have started uh, what we're calling right now a missional community. Um, it's kind of like a connect group, but it's also kind of like a little bit like a house church. And on Friday nights, um, we have church in our home. And right now there's about 21-ish people that are in attendance, a lot of kids. It's very noisy and very, very fun. We have all the kids in worship and we've been filling like empty vitamin bottles with rice so they can make shaker sounds and- Coming just, next week. Yeah. It is awesome. And um, you know, we're um, trying to mobilize that group of people to serve the school and kind of try and re reverse engineer the, the process of, of a campus rather than having an, a, a church and then inviting people to be in connect groups, we're trying to build the connect groups first. And once there's a lot of connect groups, then, we, you know, then we'll 
have church. Yeah. So awesome. we're having church on a, in a small scale and, and hopefully we'll get to a critical mass and we'll multiply and we'll just keep dividing and saturate Lockhart for the gospel. That's awesome. So the big dreams, big plans, uh, you guys are here. I, I don't know, I don't have this down, but I feel like I'm supposed to say, you're looking for a van, right? As you're yeah. trying to like work on transportation and just if you have connections and if with that, I feel like that's one of those things we can kind of open the door on a little bit to you and yeah. be able to bring people to church as they're doing it. Part of it is giving uh, them a view and being able to bring the church. And like for the last few months, you've said, if we just had a bigger vehicle, we could bring so many more people to church. Yeah. So. I just thought I'd throw that out there. It's not on your card. We're going to talk 15 about 15-passenger van. 15-passenger van. Yes. We, with the long wheelbase, not the one you can't insure. So. Yeah, we <laughs> have totally maxed out our vehicle. We're bringing lots of kids who uh, to church, and we don't have any more room. Yeah. So that's what we're... Awesome. If you know somebody, yes, we're interested. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for being here with Doug and Naomi. It's awesome. Um, I wanted you to just hear a little bit about what's happening. It's already in process, right? And it's just exciting to see it. It's, this is work they've already been doing. And that was part of this kind of idea about these new expressions of summit. They're going to be outflows of things that are already happening. And a lot of the services also outflows of relationships that are already there. So here's what we're asking is to join us. When you walked in this morning, you were given one of these sheets and a pencil. And my hope is that most of you will fill one of these out. And what would you want you to do is to kind of walk through and mark it on. Um, I'm interested in learning more about. This isn't committing you to do it. This isn't signing you up on anything. Um, over the next week and coming weeks, you'll hear a little bit more because a lot of this is in process and we're trying to figure out who and where and all these things. So the first one, I'm interested in learning more about foster care or foster care support systems. Um, so you can mark that. If you are currently fostering, trained to foster, or in the process of becoming a foster family, we'd love for you to mark that as well. Because if there are, are families that are in the foster system and in doing that, we want to start there by building care communities around you if you don't currently have one of those and would be interested. Second area there, I am interested in learning more about missionally engaging with local schools. And then there's a box underneath that. I have a relationship with the local school that could use service and support. So we want to follow some of our natural relationships that are there as well. We'll be in touch with you about that. And the last one is there, I, I'm interested in learning more about a future expression of Summit in the Lockhart area. There are two immediate needs. Some of these other needs are going to be a little bit farther off as we roll them out, but there's two immediate needs as we're doing the Lockhart area. One is a school is looking for reading volunteers at Riverside Elementary School. Something you can step into in a couple of days. You go on to the Orange County website, become an additions volunteer. You're able to go in and, and make a difference. We know that reading and being with these kids makes a huge difference in their life. And the other one is I'd like to be in a prayer group. Some of you guys are just such faithful prayers. We want to be able to surround this work that God is doing with prayer because we know that there's an enemy that would love to smother the beginnings of a new church because they are bringing hope in the places that are there. So um, if you would take a moment and, and, and fill that out, and my, my hope is that we would all feel compelled to fill out the sheet, to see where God is stirring in us and to turn it in on the way out. There'll be folks collecting at following service out there, take them in and we'll be in touch with you. And that you'll join us in this next exciting chapter here. And somebody, again, you're not signing away your life or anything like that. We're just kind of taking these first steps. I, I want to give you just a moment to reflect. A few seconds, probably 30 seconds or so of quiet. Uh, you might want to take that to fill out the card. It could just be to prayerfully consider your steps. Um, and, and maybe it's just some time to, to maybe you've already made your decision, you just want a little bit of time with it. And then I'll close this in prayer in about 30 seconds in a moment here. So take a moment. <laughs> 